0: welcome. I I think Pastor Matt was having his Pentecostal moment there. That's what I think was going on. Uh, You guys, uh, hey, the ladies had a great uh, breakfast yesterday. Uh, It was just uh, really awesome. Uh, For the men, uh, if uh, you're planning to come, pray that you would. Uh, Please pray about just inviting somebody and paying for them. That may be the best six-buck investment you make all year long. Um, So many people uh, would not come to a regular, um, you know, established church type of service, but they'll come where there's free food. (laughs) Jesus knew that. That's why he was always giving out free food, all right? (laughs) He, He knew they'd come. And uh, we've seen many people over the years uh, come to the Lord uh, as a result um, of coming to a breakfast or a picnic or something of that nature. So uh, with that, let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. We now move into uh, chapter 2 and 3, which is the church period. And Jesus here is speaking to seven different churches Seven different messages, and uh, this morning we're going to look at uh, the Church of Ephesus, uh, which was a dynamic church. It was a very powerful church, and uh, it was the, the, the key church that was settled in the area of what is Turkey today, but Asia Minor, and from there, all these other satellites went out, and so uh, we start off with the Church of Ephesus We'll read it, we'll pray, and we'll look at it a little closer. Do the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the golden seven golden lampstands, and he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, Therefore, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And Lord, we look to you this morning and we realize, Lord, there isn't any church that's perfect. And, Lord, certainly that stands for us. Yet, Lord, we look to you. For, Lord, we're told here that you're speaking to the church. You're speaking to us. You're speaking to all churches. And how I pray that you would help us. Lord, to continue to to walk in love. Lord, to love you, that you would be our chief and priority love. There's always something, Lord, siphoning. Lord, trying to pull us away from you. And Father, this morning, Lord, if we have of late drifted from that place and we find all these other things that have kind of grown into our lives. Lord, may you reveal that to us. Lord, may you show that to us. But also, too, Lord, may you help us. Lord, we need help. We're weak. We so often, Lord, give in to the wrong things. And we need that blessed help of your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that you love us so that you died on the cross to bring us into relationship with yourself. Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, uh, if we have drifted, and we do, Lord, we don't want to hide anything. Lord, want to be open, want to be honest, want to be transparent. We know that therein lies the victory Lord, when we simply call it for what it is, and we allow you, Lord, our great physician, our shepherd, our savior, our God, to extract the things that are not pleasing to you. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for those things, Lord, that have broken your heart, those things that have grieved your spirit, that have quenched and extinguished, Lord, the flame of love, Lord, the light that we've once had. We want it back, Lord. We need it back. Our world is in rough shape. We need to be, Lord, in that place Lord, where you might use our lives. So, Father, I pray as we consider, Lord, these things, may there be insight, may there be application. Lord, may there be obedience, obedience, Lord, to you. Lord, may there be, if there's anything impure, In our lives may it be removed may there be a stake driven into the ground today lord a new beginning fresh faith new hope lord new power these are things that lord we can't fake we can't manufacture but there are things that, Lord, are simply produced in our lives because they come from you, Lord. You're the source. You're the life. You're the power. Meet with us now, Father, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, We entitled uh, our message this morning, Why Love is Important. It seems to be that the Holy Spirit so often bringing us back to this theme of love, you know, the love of God, the need for it. We can't really love anyone else when, when we're out of sync, you know, with him. Uh, how can we really love, you know, those that are around us? And it's so vital, so important. You know, the ancient world was filled with so many churches, but we find here that the Lord uses simply, he singles out, he chooses only seven churches to represent the conditions of the church that would prevail throughout church history. That's, what the, that's one of the things that these seven churches stand for. They represent the conditions that would prevail in all churches throughout history. And also, too, these seven churches, they represent seven time periods, seven stages you know, of the church, uh, and what the church would be like, and as they would, it, it basically, pr- be, it's prophetic, you know, of what would take place in churches throughout the church age. And uh, this first uh, period here, the Ephesian period, uh, it's believed that it took place from the inception of the church in the, in the first century uh, to somewhere of, uh, somewhere around 160 or 170 uh, A.D. Now, as we, we start this uh, little uh, letter here in, in uh Chapter two to uh, the Ephesian church. Um, it is basically given to the angel, and as if you were here last week, remember, uh, I do not believe. Um, I, 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 th- I I simply believe in the literal um, words here. It's it's to the angel um, as he as as Jesus holds these seven stars representing these seven angels in their hands. Uh, I often, it's often been said, and many good commentators uh, tend to maybe think it's, uh, it's pastors. Uh, I, I don't agree with that. Uh, I believe it's the angel that is assigned to, uh, you know, that particular church. And remember, that we're told here that they're sent to minister to those who are the heirs of salvation. And so we see that, the, you know, we understand that in the invisible realm, uh, there's angelic uh, activity on our behalf I would imagine many of us, uh, before we even knew Christ, I look back at my life and I know that there was an angel there. Man, oh man, there would be no way that I could ever survive if it wasn't for him. And I'm sure you've got stories like that as well. Uh, how these, is, you know, these is, angels are assigned to each church, uh, uh, basically to help them, to help the leadership, to help the pastors, to help you know, all the people, the body of Christ in that particular place. And their design is to help us to accomplish the will of God and the purpose of God. Now, he says here in in verse 1, the first part of it, uh, introducing us to where he's writing to, to these believers there of that body at at Ephesus. Uh, This was an interesting place. It was sort of a crossroads of the world. It was a very important trade route. Uh, It was a wealthy commercial center. Uh, It was where one of the seven wonders of the world was, the Temple of Diana. Um, And that place was... uh, uh, an attraction uh, for many uh, that worshiped in that particular cult, but also, too, it was a giant brothel. Uh, when you look at Ephesus and ancient Ephesus, I imagine there was a lot of sex trade um, that would, took place in that, in that particular city, in that part of the world. But, you know, when you look at this, you realize uh, uh, that uh, that place, like many cities today, um, are filled with unimaginable vices. Um, we're oftentimes unaware of something and, you know, some activity that may be going on close to us or maybe in our neighborhood, and all of a sudden uh, a news story uh, opens up and we find out what has been going on in the lives of maybe some respectable people uh, that we thought, um, you know, that uh, they were just really respectable and good, and and it's sad when those kind of things happen. But when we look at this church, it was planted by Paul, pastored later by Timothy. What a great beginning. What an awesome beginning when you think about, you know, God's grace uh, to this particular church. And, you know, when you think about beginnings, I think any one of us, everybody that's saved, you got a great beginning. Amen? Amen? you got an awesome beginning. But the fact of the matter is the most important thing in our life is not our beginning, but how we finish. That's, that's really my concern uh, at this point in my life, and I, and I certainly have that concern for you as well. Um, you know, we have a, We've had a great beginning. Um, maybe we've had a great interim, but, man, how important it is because you know what? The Bible reveals a lot of stories about guys who had great beginnings that didn't have a very good end. Uh, many of the great heroes of the Bible had awesome beginnings. Uh, study the Book of Kings, how these men had great beginnings, and yet... Uh, finishing in a very miserable way. Um, You know, we tend to sometimes, I think, over the course of time, relax the bowstring. And that's a very dangerous kind of thing, and particularly when we live in an ungodly culture because we find there's a constant, continual encroachment of the world into our lives. I mean, the world gets into our life like it never did in any generation of Christians. And I'm talking about all the electronic devices that are constantly tempting uh, they're they're constantly pushing, you know, the the, the margins in upon our life, uh, and we find ourselves giving in. We find ourselves tempted. Um, we find ourselves impacted in, in these ways much more than we ever think or we ever realize. Now he says here also in verse one, these things says he, who holds the seven stars, these angels, <laughs> and again. There's no place where the Lord ever calls his pastor stars, okay? <laughs> uh, some may want to be stars, and, uh, but these, these are angelic beings. Uh, in his, holding them in his right hand and walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, the lampstands being the church. Uh, so here we find the Lord himself, you know, holding everything together, walking in the midst of his people. And what is he doing? He's observing He's not only watching over us, but he's watching us. We need to remember that. Uh, Jesus is here this morning by his Spirit. He's in our midst. And uh, did you sense it when you were worshiping? You know, maybe we got caught up like Matt and uh, we just had our moment. You know, we had our moment, you know, with the Lord. We need to have that. You know, praise God that you know, we would be, you know, just quieted before him because we've, we've, we sensed his, his presence as we, you know, God, it says in the Old Testament, he inhabits the praises of his people. And we need to remember that as we praise him. Remember that one story about Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament? And uh, they were going to war, and Jehosh- Jehosh- Jehoshaphat has this harebrained idea, and that is to put the worship team out in front of the, the army <laughs> And it said, they began to praise the Lord, and the enemy was vanquished. They were discomfited. They were defeated. And that's what happens when we're praising and adoring him and worshiping him. We need to have those times. We need to have those moments. I'll tell you what, it'll beat down a lot of the the dust, the din, uh, the clamor, the distraction that's around us. When all of a sudden we're, we're, you know, I I was thinking about this morning, you know What? As I was praying for the worship, I said, Lord, our feet are on the earth, but let our hearts be in heaven. And, you know, we can have that. We can have those kinds of times where, you know what, our feet are firmly planted on the earth, but, man, our heart, our minds are in heaven. They're with the Lord. Now, here's he begins his affirmation in verse 2 where he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience. See, these believers were committed hard workers. They labored for the kingdom and when there was some kind of need in the body, man, they simply, they, they, they volunteered. In, in Ephesus, uh, the pastor didn't have to pull any teeth uh, to get folks to do things. These folks were just simply, they were they were laboring folks. They were working hard. Uh, they were looking for opportunities to serve God in any particular way that they could. They persevered in very difficult situations. And very simply, they hung in there. They, they, they hung in there. Uh, when things got tough, when things got difficult, uh, they didn't walk away. Uh, the, a beautiful commendation to these to these uh, believers in Ephesus, and uh, you know I, I think uh, also too we need some of that toughness, don't we? Uh, some of that toughness in this in this effeminate society, uh, isn't it though? Isn't it just becoming more softer, more effeminate? You know our culture. And uh, that's why I think, you know, that's why I think and, and, and be careful that, you know, when God brings circumstances in our lives to toughen us up, he does that. I mean, the Bible teaches us that he very clearly brings, you know, experiences and trials and testings in our life. And he's trying to put some fiber into us. And, and we live in a very soft, effeminate kind of culture, and we need to be very careful. You know, Jesus could be soft and tender, and loving, but he could be tough as nails. He could be tough as nails, and, and we, can, we can have that. Sometimes, you know, isn't it amazing how human nature gets extreme? It tends to be extreme, one extreme or the other. And, and the beautiful thing about knowing Christ is you can be tough, but also, too, you can be tender. It's a beautiful balance. The beautiful balance of the Spirit of God at work within our lives you know, as we, as we interact with our culture, you know, with our society. Because I think that, you know, in a sense, you and I are the best advertisement to become a Christian. Well, let me put it this way. <laughs> we may be the best, or we may be the worst. But we can be the best advertisement because people will look at your life, will look at my life, and they'll say, you know what, I like that. I like that. Or our people will say about our life, You know, maybe I don't agree with that, but I respect that. And there's something about when the Spirit of God is at work within a person's life, we tend to have that effect upon them. We don't want to have a negative effect. We don't want to be, you know, we don't want to be beating people on the head with the Bible. We want to be living the Bible. We, We want to be living it out. We don't want to just be pointing to people, you know, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. Man, I'll tell you what, that's one way to push people away from Jesus. You, you critique them, you, you tell them everything is wrong. You see, we can, we can show people what's right and wrong by the way we live. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You can't hear light. Can't hear it. But, man, you can see it. You can see it at work in the lives and the hearts of God's people. Now, it goes on to say, this second uh, uh, affirmation, <clears throat> He says, and you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. In other words, this group of believers, they did not tolerate the encroaching evil that came from the culture of their day. Folks, that's one of the problems with the church today. The culture has bled too much into the life of God's people. And I'll tell you why. It, it, and it seems to be very rational. It seems to be very, very rational. Because I, I, I travel in pastor circles. I, I want to be a better pastor. You know, I, I, wanna, I want my ministry to, to have impact in the lives of others. But this whole issue, I think, sometimes of tolerating the culture more than we should tolerate it is because pe- guys are saying we need to be more relevant. And if we are compromising to be relevant, it's wrong. Okay? If we are compromising to think that, you know what, if I just compromise and and I lower the standard some, well, then people, maybe people will like me. Folks, forget about people liking you, okay? They just don't like you anyway because of Jesus. I mean, sometimes we can be unlikable. You know, because we're being, you know, ourselves. (laughs) But there's a dynamic there, really, as we walk with the Lord, that that we can have impact in people's lives. And and it's not lowering the standard. It's not compromising. And, And the thing about the Ephesians is they simply didn't do that, and Jesus basically commended them for that. They didn't allow the culture to come in and make them so incredibly relevant that maybe they'll like the church. Maybe they'll like us. And that's the wrong, that's the wrong approach. We need to speak the truth in love. That's what we need to do. Because can, you can speak the truth the wrong way. You, you can speak the truth the wrong way. You can say the right thing in the wrong way, wrong spirit, wrong tone. You need to speak the truth in a loving way. That is what is going to have impact. So these believers, these guys were hard workers, they were committed, and basically they were committed for the kingdom, to the the kingdom, what God was, was doing, and wonderfully. They didn't, and the thing is that what I see taking place is this integration thing. Integrating in our theology some of these stra- strange, trendy spiritual things that are simply coming along—that's a dangerous thing. And sometimes Christians will throw out what they know to be truth to accept some new trendy thing and sort of integrating it. In you know, we need Bible says what: prove all things, uh, test all things, and, and you know, hold on to that which is good. I think that's something that new believers tend to do more than others, simply because they're simply hungry and uh, they want everything, you know, that God has. But sometimes, you know, Satan is very clever where he sends these, these winds of doctrine, these weird teachings that, have, that have, they appeal to human nature only. They appeal to the flesh. And they're strange and trendy. And, well, you know, by golly, they're doing it down the street. You know, they've embraced it. And I think we need to be careful. These guys, they were discerning. And I've said this before. I think you've heard me say it. That one thing I really believe that is missing today in many churches, and particularly in, in new Christianity, is discernment. We need discernment. We need to be a discerning people. Now, you may not have the gift of discernment, some people do. But you can become more discerning by knowing your Bible. Knowing His scriptures. Knowing the word of God. Because that becomes the grid. That becomes the grid, if you will. That when it comes into our mind, it's, it's taken through the grid of truth. It's taken through the word of God. It's strained, if you will. It comes through that. Because there's a lot of crazy, goofy things out there that may sound spiritual, but they can be devastating. Look what Paul said uh, to the Ephesians when he was traveling. He couldn't quite make it, so he called for the elders of the church in Acts chapter 20. He, he, the, the church is, was settled in, in Acts chapter 19, and Paul was kind of coming by in the Aegean Sea, and he can't make it then, so he Uh, He arranges to meet the the elders there at Miletus. And it says in uh, Acts 20, verse 28, he says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, Paul saw that it was going to happen not even long after he left, And it did, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and not sparing the flock. How many of us know of churches that we were once a part of that no longer exist? Church I was saved in. It's gone. It's a jewelry shop. And I'll tell you, back in the 70s, God was moving there. And from among your own selves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. Remember that for three years I did not cease to warn every one night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. See, Paul simply committed and commended them to what? The word of God. We need to have the discernment. Folks, are you reading your Bible during the week? Hey, we're thankful you're here, but you need to be reading your Bible during the week. You need to be getting a steady diet, a constant diet. Maybe your schedule is so that you can't attend a, a Bible study. But it shouldn't stop you from reading your Bible. It's going to help you to discern what's good. What's And there's always something coming. I, I'm amazed at the fact that I've read the Bible for over 40 years. And yet, when I read the Bible every day, things come on that particular day that it seems to be relevant to what I'm reading. Do you find that? It's amazing. And that's why we need to continually keep the word of God in our hearts, hidden in our hearts, like the scripture says, to hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. You see, they knew God's word. They knew biblical truth. And also, too, isn't it interesting that the Lord says to them, you hate the practices, the deeds of the Nicolaitans. This is a cult group, and they were very dictatorial. They were a very controlling group, but morally, sexually, they were very loose. But they wanted to control people. And Jesus said, I hate that. My people are They're not shepherded, but they're corralled. They're taken advantage of, they're controlled. You know, I was reading about Jesus. Uh, Psalm 45 is a messianic psalm. And this has stuck with me for a long time. It's something that I've prayed for in my own life. But it says about Jesus in Psalm 45, You love righteousness, but you hate wickedness. God give us a hatred for the things that God hates. I'm not talking about people. Jesus said, love your enemies, okay? It's kind of easy to hate people, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think more, I, I think... Sometimes we we tend to hate other people's sin. (laughs) You know how that is. Other people's sins bother you. They bother me. I need to hate my own sin. That's what we need to do. (laughs) But there are things that God hates. I need to hate wickedness. And that's what I mean by I apply that to myself all the time in my prayer. Lord, I need to hate my sin. Lord, I need the things that you hate. Lord, I want to love the things that you love. I want to hate the things that you hate. And that's not people. That's sinful practices. Now, the third commendation in verse 3, you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. In other words, this group, they didn't give up. They didn't quit. They didn't surrender. The Bible says, blessed are those who endure unto the end. Weary not well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Paul wrote, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You ever feel like that? You need to be honest about this. You look at your life, you look at your ministry, you look at your impact, and you begin to question everything because you're struggling, and you're wondering if I'm making any impact. Is my life really making a difference? I hope that wasn't South Korea. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, North Korea. But I think sometimes we really do we, we really question and, and struggle in our, you know, am I having any kind of effect? And I think I think to a point it's we need to examine those kind of things. But don't weary in your well-doing. Don't give up. Don't quit. I think the easiest thing to do is to to quit doing what the Lord called you to do. So many people are quitting their commitment, giving up their vows, the promises they made to God. That's the one thing you shouldn't give up. Our, Our commitments to him, our promises the, the, the vows that we made. There are some things that we do need to quit. Amen? <laughs> there are some things that we do need to give up. That's the things we need to, to, to quit on. Not the Lord. But they weren't. Now he has only one critique. But it's one issue that changes everything critical. It's important. How, how is it? Isn't it interesting? How is it that one thing can neutralize all those other things? How is it that one issue can neutralize and make of no effect all these other good things that he just spoke about? As I read that, this verse this week, because I think we have to ask ourselves, is this just a corporate admonition? No, I think we have to take it personally, too. I think we have to apply it personally. Because each one of us are a unit that makes up this corporate body. And when each one of us as units, in a sense, are taken out, doesn't it have the overall impact, corporate impact, collective impact? Yes. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you or me? Because you know what about you? something about our human nature that we tend to balance. We try to balance out things. A lot of people think, a lot of people, unbelievers out in the world, they think they're going to heaven because they've balanced out their evil and their corruption and, and the the sinful things that they have you know done. and and there's something about sin after you do it. It's like, I don't like that. There, there's something about it. but but there's this balancing act of of if I do I, if I do these good things, Over here, hopefully, it's just going to balance it all out. And it's a delusion. Yes, we need the good things. Praise God. They're important. They're vital. But there's issues that have to be dealt with. There's things that we have to be honest about that are in our life that, that are against Christ. I have this against you that you've left your first love. Now, they, he didn't say they lost it. When you lose something, you can't find it. Anybody lose their cell phone this week? Anybody lose their key fob this week or is it just Margie and me? (laughs) You know, as husband and wife, we say, did did you take my keys? Do you have my phone? No. And I always end up saying it's right where I left it. There were sometimes that seemed like there was some evil force in your life hiding things on you. <laughs> See, they hadn't lost it. He said they left it. They left their first love. There's always a priority of love in our lives. We love. We we love many things. But but at the end of the day, there's really only one thing that we really love. <laughs> it's like Solomon. He had a thousand women in his life. Kings can do that. Okay. That's the ultimate man dream. Okay. Uh, really. I mean, he can only do it because he was a man, a king rather. That, that, that's the ultimate man dream. 700 wives, 300 concubines. But you know he only loved one. He loved the, he loved And the Song of Solomon tells the story. He just loved this little poor girl called the Shunammite, Shulamite. Remember Jesus said, you can't have two masters. You're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. In other words, you can have two things in your life that you say you love, but the one you love, whereas the other one, when you compare the two, it seems like hatred. And that's why it's interesting that the first commandment is what? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, thy soul. See, he needs to be the priority love. And there's always, you know, and Satan knows this. He, he knows how to, you know, to at least to attempt to steal our hearts away from God. Because he does it. He does it. And I would venture to say every one of you, including me, at one time or another, has left their first love. And it can be a subtle. and usually is. It's usually a drift, isn't it? It's usually a drift. At one time, we can be so impassionedly in love. I, I, Marge and I tend to watch some of these uh, mysteries. Excuse me, on TV. And they're oftentimes they're, they're murder mysteries. You know, Dateline, uh, Forty Eight Hours, things like that. As you see the tangled web, but it's so often. It's usually when it comes to somebody being murdered. More often than not, it's a spouse. No matter how they try to cover it up, they tend to get caught now. Now, and so, and so, so many of their friends are like. Whoa, we know these people. And they, they were, such, they were, such, they were the, an example to everybody else. Everybody wanted to have the relationship that they had. And it's possible to love something so passionate that you do make a vow. And for the heart to turn. To, to such a degree where that person... <laughs> Begins to plot and scheme to do away with that other person. That's the human heart. that's, That's human nature. Anybody, anybody is capable of that. Now, my defense always was well, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. I have the Holy Spirit, which is a blessed, wonderful, beautiful thing. But we can still drift. We're watching one of these stories this week about a young man who came from a very strong Christian family and professed Christ, carried his Bible, met some gal, but she happened to be somebody else's wife. Began to talk to her about the Lord and the Bible. And they both end up plotting the death of her husband. Where he did it. And I am convinced he was a believer. Because when I saw the, his confession uh, on, the court, uh, on, on, the, on the witness stand, just honestly pouring out his heart that he was absolutely wrong. Now, it may may be difficult for us to fathom how somebody as a Christian could get to that point. But the point is, it's possible. And that's why, folks, we need to stay close to Jesus. I am not fully aware of what I'm capable of only because it hasn't happened. And I've said this before, on my gravestone if I don't get raptured. Honey, write this down. (laughs) My epitaph, I'm not planning to die anytime soon, but I think about these things. You know what it's going to be? Part of it's going to be three simple words. He kept me. He kept me. And you know what, beloved? He's keeping you too. He's keeping you too. Praise him for that. Thank him for that. Stay close. once saw a man with a beautiful cabin cruiser boat. And you know, guys that have big boats, they put names on the back of them, right? And I had to chuckle when I saw it. But the boat was called The Other Woman. Kind of wondered how his wife felt about that. And it's easy to have... All these different things. You know, the book of Ephesians is interesting because the Holy Spirit knew folks, the church of Ephesus died. It died. Eventually it died. In every chapter, love is mentioned in the book of Ephesus, and the very sign-off, the very Signature at the end is about staying in love because the Lord knew it. Because it wasn't just the the, the issue, the problem of the Ephesians. It's all of our problem. It's too easy to fall out of love with Christ. Remember Jude before we got to Revelation, keep yourselves in the love of God. But I'll tell you what, folks, it's incumbent. The love of God is there for us. Jesus loves us in such an awesome and deep way. But we have to keep pursuing him. We have to keep going after him. We have to keep the flame of love kindled. Now, anybody that's married knows all about this, don't they? Especially the ladies. Because they're always looking for these little indicators of love. Do you guys struggle with that? Or is it just me? Staying in love. Dating. I've tried my best for Margie and I to always do things together. I've always tried to do that. As imperfectly as I have, but nevertheless, I've always tried to keep her near me, missions, Whatever wherever. Even when we were dating, we, tried, we went fishing together. It wasn't the greatest fishing. We were fishing the Delaware River and all we caught was eels. <laughs> if you ever caught an eel, they're a nasty thing to get off the hook. But even when I go out scouting, hunting as a young guy, she'd come along. You know, one of the issues that the Lord said to the Jewish people in their worship of him, he said, you don't bring me any more sweet cane. In other words, there's little tokens of love. It was, it was sugar cane. Because remember, that was part of worship for the, for the Jewish people, you know. was, was They would tithe and... And, and he said to him, "You don't bring me any more." In other words, it's, it's, it would be sort of like saying this: "You don't bring me any more little candy." Where, where's the little tokens and gestures of love? We need to have them. I think. I think. Mary, when she poured out the alabaster box, I think that was it. I think. I think that, that captured it. Something, you know, Lord, it's just for you. David with the water from the well of Bethlehem. I can't drink this. I can't drink it. This is too precious. (laughs) Lord, it's for you. Did you ever sometimes maybe get a check in the mail? And the Lord just sort of whispers in your heart. Would you give that to me? Oh, Lord, it's, it's just for you. Now, here's the danger, is that, you know, when we lose the power of true love, we stop loving the things that God loves. And namely, you know what that is? People. Because the way the heart is designed, if I don't love him, I automatically start loving me. <laughs> and I already love me enough. Enough. <laughs> Isn't it interesting the Bible says about, you know, uh, loving others as we love ourselves? There's a presupposition there, isn't there? To love others as I, he's not saying, you, you know, we do love ourselves, and God knows it. But to love others as we love ourselves. And, and what happens is, is life goes back to a very dull routine, gets mechanical. Our joy uh, basically begins to wither up. And you know what happens? Very simply, as Jesus says here, the light goes out. The light goes out of our life. And we start returning to our old critical, cranky ways. Maybe you don't have any old critical, cranky ways. I do. (laughs) You know what I mean. All of a sudden, we find ourselves slipping back into that. No joy. The things of God just begin to sort of wither up within our life. But in verse 5, what we find here, this is the road back home. This is how we get back to that place of first love. You know, the Bible speaks about different roads. Isn't it interesting? There's, you know, there's the road that winds upward. And there's the road to perdition. I was thinking about that old jingle, you know, get your kicks on Route 66. I I think it's for spiritually, it's get your kicks on Route 666. That's what I think it is. And you know, it's interesting because the devil has all these little detours. It's sort of like tributaries that come off a river. But eventually, they find themselves back into the river. And the devil says, oh, well, here, here's a nice little road for you. Here's a nice little path. Why don't you just try this one? As he leads us away from God, here's the road back. The first thing he says is, remember, therefore, from the height that you've fallen. The place where you've fallen from. Place where you once were in your love and your relationship with Him. Place where there was just a hunger for the Bible, hunger for the Word of God, a longing to be in fellowship and to be in church and to hang out with God's people. You know, the desire that you had to pray and talk to others about Jesus. I remember. We can go anywhere without tracks. Just praying for an opportunity, praying for people. I need to recall those things. And sometimes I see a person who, especially guys because I am one when they're trying to win a girl my, oh my, what a man will do to win a woman. He'll shed pounds. He'll spend every last bit of his money. He'll take her places that he can't afford to. Maybe trying to impress her that baby, if you stick with me, this is what life is going to be like. And what happens a couple years into the marriage? (laughs) It's like she says, where was that man I first met? Where, Where did he go? And I think that happens in our relationship with the Lord. Second thing he says is, repent. Some guy, somebody has called this the three R's. You've heard about the three R's of education, reading, writing, arithmetic. These are the three spiritual R's. Get us back on track. Get us back in alignment. Repent. In other words, very simply is this, changing our minds. There are things that we need to change our mind about. There are things in our lives, folks, that we need to renounce them. There are things that need to be cut out of our life. Not to tolerate them. Renounce our pride, our ambitions, our cravings. There are things in my life, dear people, that I'm constantly praying about. Lord, give me victory. Lord, help me. Give me breakthrough in this area, that area. And, and when folks come to me for, you know, for counsel or whatever, I'll be praying for them, for those issues in their life. But there are things that we need to very simply change our minds about. That's what repentance is. The word's metanoia. To have another mind. To think another way. And the obvious is to think God's thoughts. To have our minds renewed. To to look at things, you know, through the Bible and have God's perspective. There are things, this is not pleasing to the Lord. And number three, the third one, return. In other words, to do the things that we did at first—those beautiful things, those simple things—we were talking about uh, some of the early Maranatha and some of the early Christian music. You know, back in the '70s, when Christian music was contemporary Christian music was just birthing and becoming, you know, really just its its mere beginnings. And I remember some of that stuff. So simple. So uncomplicated. Some of the greatest worship times were just with a guitar. (laughs) One guitar. And can you remember back in those days when you first got saved that you didn't even need any music? You were just singing. Remember. Sometimes we'd be in the car and we just, because there wasn't really much Christian radio back then, we'd just be singing hymns. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Savior, that's my plea. Didn't need any music, the music was in us. Malachi puts it like this return unto me and I will return unto you in other words we have to take a step we have to move in his direction God is always saying call unto me I'll answer you and I'll do great and mighty things Oh, God, change our hearts. Change our thinking. That's one thing the culture is always attempting to do, isn't it? To fashion our thoughts. To mold our thinking. To indoctrinate us. In its ways. And it's only... The work of the Holy Spirit that can really, as we yield to it, change our thoughts, change our thinking, change the course of our life. Give us new direction, new beginning. I I believe that the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Now he says, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Well, that must have been a shocking message to the Ephesian believers. What does that mean? I will remove your lampstand. I think it simply means this. The light goes out personally and corporately. I don't think this is a matter of a loss of salvation for individuals. I think it's the Lord saying, I'm going to pull... the impact of my, of my presence and my spirit in your midst. You know, think about all the different, the, the different churches and denominations that were once thriving. Uh, Steve Same, um, that I've known for years, ministering in England, he's going to be with us in January, has told me that Ninety-some percent, very high in the 90s. England was a place once filled with churches. These have all now been evacuated and have been sold to the Muslims as mosque. How many times do we see in our own country a church that's basically been abandoned, and now it's a flea market? Or a restaurant. These were once thriving places. As I alluded to, the own church that I that I was saved in. The jewelry shop now. These things unfortunately they can happen. When we lose our love, he pulls the plug. not a matter of your salvation. But what God does, and you can see it in all the denominations, so many of them, not that every church in that denomination, but so often so many of these churches, that there's just a deadness. And the Lord moves on. You know what he does? He raises up a new wineskin. That's what he did with Calvary Chapel. But if we don't fulfill his purpose, he moves on. He's warning these churches, as he warns us. You leave your love, I'll pull my plug. And I've even seen some churches in our group go down. The old hymn comes to me. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's the only safekeeping for our hearts. Amen. Father, we come to you. We look to you, Lord. We need you. Forgive us, Father, if we have grieved or quenched or hindered your spirit in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your light, your beauty, your presence. the awareness, Lord, of your very person. Lord, sometimes we don't realize our practices, our actions, how they affect and impact our relationship. Just like the relationship between a man and a woman, there are things that we can allow in our lives that quench what you want to do. Lord, I pray that if we honestly see some area of our spiritual life that's been withered up, Lord God, we come to you. Lord, we look to you. And we give to you, Lord, that very issue by faith. I pray you'd help us to do that, Lord. to keep confessing, to keep giving. Lord, to keep looking for breakthrough. We know sometimes, Lord, sin can so cleave to us, can bring such amazing defeat. But Lord, you said that with you, you're more than conquerors. In spite of our shortcomings, we're victors that you always lead us in triumph in Christ. We believe that. We thank you for that. So lead us this week, where there's been defeat, Lord, bring victory, where there's been a struggle. Help us to conquer. We go forth in your name for your honor and for your glory. Amen.